0: I'm really excited today for our episode of Small Moment, Big Impact Podcast. Today, I have a really special guest, flew all the way from New York City, from the concrete jungle to be with us here in the Silicon Valley, Ace Saparp.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, All the way from the East Coast. It's been a long time coming, but I'm glad we were able to make this happen.
0: Right on. And uh, I didn't butcher his name. No,
1: he did not, which is, uh, you know. Surprising, huh? it's, It's surprising. It's surprising. A lot of people... I mean, there's, there's tons of versions of my last name, so.
0: Yeah. Nice. Yeah, the That's the thing is growing up in uh, Sacramento, we grew up around a lot of different ethnicities. Uh-huh. And we saw some really long names and some extremely short names. Yeah. Like my last name is Bowie. Yeah, it's, it's easy. B-U-I. It still gets butchered really all the time. So it's wow. just depending who's who sang it from the other side. For sure. For it's all sure. good. Well, welcome to the show today. Glad to be here, Mike. Man, I'm excited. There's, there's <laughs> a lot for us to, to oh, talk man. about on uh, on this episode here. Um, so let's just kind of get started a little bit about you, Ace. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're in New York City. <clears throat> yep. In one of the most highly competitive environments. But one of the most, for me, I, it's most satisfying. I go there and they're just people. Everything's just buzzing and, yeah. and lively. Tell me a little bit about... Uh, New York City and kind of the lifestyle that you're a part of?
1: Well, I mean, I grew up in Queens Woodside, oh. so I was born and raised all my life there. So it, it may seem like it's a huge, huge mega city, right? Uh-huh. But I think once you're sort of in that network, it becomes a really, really small world, right? Okay. So I think, I think in New York City, a lot of people tend to to be a little bit timid when they first come into the city just because, you know, the lights, the action, you know, the the, the nightlife. But It's live. It's live, it's live, right? So a lot of people get intimidated by such a big city. But I think once you sort of entrench yourself within that what we call concrete jungle, Uh it becomes a really, really small
0: world. Okay. So when you say small world, does it mean that all the players, they all know each other? It's like,
1: you know, that sort of third dimension. Everybody knows of someone, of someone, of someone. So I think as long as you're... Willing to put yourself out there yep. and let people just genuinely know who you are. I think, you know, it's just like in any, I, I think no matter where you are in the world, right? As long as you put yourself out there and you're genuine about it, you know, it's law of attraction. So yeah.
0: You put yeah. out good vibes. Definitely. You get good vibes. All the time, the all the time. Yeah. That's cool. No, as soon as you walk through the door, you <laughs> can feel the vibes. For sure, for so, sure. So uh, that, that, that's awesome to have you on board. Um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, Ace yeah. in... Uh, middle school or high school? <laughs> what led you? Because I, I, you know, from following you on Instagram and social uh-huh. media, you played ball at UConn. You do a lot of coaching and mentoring, yeah. and we'll get into definitely the meat and bones of things of For your sure. business sure. and everything else too. But kind of share with me a little bit about that.
1: I mean, you know what? Growing up, um, I was a very timid, shy individual, right? Growing I don't up believe in... that. <laughs> no, I mean that's why you know there's been a huge transformation. But I think. You know, your upbringing is so important, right? So coming from an Asian immigrant family, you know, a lot of times they always tell you to respect your elders. Of course. So growing up, you know, I was very, you know, don't speak out of of line, don't speak out of term. But then as I started, you know, going to high school and college and my experience at UConn really, really changed the way that I sort of approach a lot of things in, in my life now, in my career, right? Which is you know you have to kind of go for it yep. and you can't you can't be so reserved right because in life if you if you don't speak up and you don't speak your mind sometimes people will i mean you'll you'll just be unnoticed yep. right so i think i think my dad really instilled the uh, the fact of look you have one life to live you just got to go for it right nice. and then my mom was a little bit more conservative yeah. so it was like the yin and the yang yeah right? there's,
0: a so there's a balance there's a
1: balance there's a balance but i think um you know growing up in new york it teaches you at an early age to to really be street smart and I think the street smart side of things you know that I think a lot of people you can't teach that yep. and I think growing up in New York you sort of get that at a very early age so that really helped a lot. As when well.
0: would you say that that kind of kicked in for you?
1: I think in high school. Okay. In high school right so uh, my parents we didn't really grow up with a lot so my parents worked three jobs each uh-huh. so the amount of time that I spent with my parents was very, very little. So growing up, I actually grew up with my grandmother. She had eight kids, right, growing up. Single parent in Taiwan, and then she moved to Thailand. And she had to take care of all of her kids. So, you know, at the time when I was young, I didn't understand why I couldn't see my parents. So, so so, So she would instill the importance of hard work, dedication, and then just really providing for the family. And as I saw that, it was something that I wanted to strive for and be half as hardworking as my parents, right? So I think that's where a lot of the passion and energy comes from.
0: Yeah, the drive. It's
1: from seeing my parents struggle and and really want to provide for, for their family, which was a great inspiration for me too, at a very young age, you know? Yeah.
0: That's amazing. So what led you to want to go to UConn?
1: Uh, UConn, well, I always had dreams of uh, playing basketball. Yeah. And at UConn, I was offered an um, academic Um, half scholarship and you know my big that was big that was big right growing up in in new york not really having a lot of money you know i wanted to save money for my parents but you know walking on to the basketball team was an afterthought Mm -hmm. right i I just wanted to go there for school but um you know I, i think one thing led to another and uconn has been such a huge impact in my life and it was actually sort of the uh, the platform and the uh, sort of the brick and mortar of who I am today, you know, just experiencing Coach Calhoun and him teaching you life lessons on and off the court. That was huge. So was huge.
0: Uh, I see that you're also, uh, in what you're doing now, you actually go back to UConn. All you time. still play ball there. Yeah, yeah. And you can walk on the court and play ball at any time. But you also do something that's really inspiring. Uh-huh. I've seen some uh, posts that you were coaching and mentoring uh, other up-and-coming uh, yeah. sports athletes?
1: I think, you know, as when I was on the team, we didn't really have a lot of role models to look up to, right? Um, Ray Allen would come and speak yeah. to the team. And UConn has done so much for me in my personal life, career, and just mentorship mm-hmm. that I wanted to do something to give back to a school that took a shot at a 5'9 Asian American walk-on, right? So that was probably one of the most defining moments in my life. And I give so much gratitude to the school, to the coaching staff, to the team. So anything I can do to kind of pave that sort of, um, I guess, direction in terms of, you know, life after basketball or even during basketball is so important to me because a lot of these kids, they get approached from all angles, right? And I want them to make sure that they make the, the right choices in their life and um, if there's anything I can do to give back, um, that's, that's, that's what I'm all about.
0: That's yeah. inspirational. You're, <laughs> you're basically mentoring the up-and-coming risers, the, yeah, the youth. For sure. And that's something in our society today that is profound. Everybody needs that mentorship. Yeah. I know in, in my life, very uh-huh. similarly to your story, without even knowing your story, yeah. is my parents worked multiple jobs. Right? My mom was at three different restaurants. Yeah. My dad worked two jobs. On Saturdays and Sundays, we would, you know, basically be at the flea market selling stuff from 5 a.m. to when we got sunburned. Wow. And then we, my brother and sister and I, we'd kind of hide back and let uh-huh. our parents do the thing just to make ends meet. Yeah. So it, it was a grind. And you were and probably
1: there when you were like 12 years old, 13 years old, right?
0: So from 7 <laughs> all the way until yep. I was about 12, mm-hmm. and afterwards, you know, you turn into a teen, you get some attitude, and you don't yeah, want to yeah, go yeah. out and help you anymore, because yeah, exactly. think the world is, is your place to, to take over. Uh-huh. So a uh, lot of life lessons that kind of share uh, together there. So, yeah. But for you to come back to and have that gratitude, the attitude of gratitude, come back and really mentor others, uh, that's absolutely amazing.
1: I, I think, you know, as I meet with so many people, sometimes, you know, we think about, us as, you know, it's it's only me, right? And I think that sort of empathy and that that approach of just being appreciative and having gratitude is so key because I think in life you need to realize that it's, it's not about yourself. It's about your upbringing. It's about people that you surround yourself with. And I think it's so key for people to actually acknowledge that and be aware of that and then really give back and help others sort of... Um, you know help them grow
0: as well yeah you know, not you're, just yourself you're right? uplifting them and really you're uplifting them, rise. them
1: and empowering them and yeah. giving them giving them that confidence because someone gave you confidence yeah. when you didn't have confidence in yourself right yeah.
0: so a, that's that's the thing about um, believing in yourself there's only so much belief that you could do in yourself yeah but to have that one extra person for sure believe in you or give you that chance you're like Oh, you believe in me too.
1: And, and that's why, you know, when, it, when I go around and I talk to a lot of folks now, I tell them your, your surrounding and your network is really your net worth, right? So okay. if you surround yourself with positive people that are constantly encouraging you, it, it really takes away from self-doubt. Yes. And so many people have self-doubt, right? Me and you, we have self-doubt every single day. So I think surrounding yourself with a good support system is so key.
0: Yeah, so talk about that there. Yeah. You're with uh, surrounding yourself with key people, your network is your net worth. Yeah. Uh, and having a team of people who work with you, not for you. Because I know you run a major arm for Citizens, Citizens Bank, Bank yeah. uh, out in, in New York City. Yeah. Uh, kind of structure, because I know as soon as you walked in the door, uh-huh. put, your, put your luggage, everything down. On the phone, texting and doing yeah. all that. How does a day in life face look? <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Pretty
1: crazy. I Break mean, that down. Break I mean, it down. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen and, and you really don't know, you know, what you're going to actually expect on a daily basis. Right. But I think um, Citizens Bank was literally right after we decided that we, we were going to um, dissolve D Capital, which was the financing arm for Douglas Solomon. And Citizens Bank, they were a northeast bank. Okay. They were a little bit smaller um, with a huge balance balance sheet. So we thought, you know what? We don't have a name yet in New York in terms of Citizens Bank, right? Because we don't have brick and mortar. But it was a huge opportunity because the company just had the right mindset. You know, they wanted to really um, be consumer-centric. They really wanted to focus on building a reputation that's, you know, longevity and not short-term. So I thought, you know what? Going into New York and having citizens, and coming over to Citizens Bank, we had the opportunity to brand ourselves a little bit different. And that's what I talk about um, you know, the first day that we were um, joining Citizens Bank because we came over, the bank was doing right around 12 to 20 million a month.
0: Okay.
1: After four and a half years, we now average right around 200 million a month. So that's, but that's not because, you know, that's, that's really about the people. Yes. Right, Mike? So it was really about, okay, you represent the brand, not the other way around. Right. So a lot of people will talk about their company. I used to always tell them each and every single one of you guys represent the company. So you really need to have a, you need to uphold and have a great reputation. And it's not short term, it's not transactional. Right. So a lot of things that we really talk about our ethos, it's relationship driven and it's long term. So sometimes if we can't do the deal, it's not about the deal. It's not about that one transaction, right? It's about finding a solution and finding a home for that client or that referral source.
0: Yeah, because if you had to turn someone down, you have another resource that may be able to pick that that deal or... Um, That transaction up and then carry it all the way through, versus just saying, "Hey, I'm sorry, you're denied," and calling it a day. Exactly, right. So you're giving more opportunities. So, how um, many people are now involved with Citizens Bank or who work uh, within your team there in New York?
1: Uh, There's a ton. There's a ton of folks, Mike. You know, to loan officers, to our support staff, to developers, realtors, attorneys. I mean, it takes a village, right? So it's. There's so many different arms and and so many different tentacles of what we do when it comes to wealth relationships and things of that nature. There's just so much um, that's involved and I think every relationship is so key. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, in terms of loan officers, we have over 100 loan officers in our region and, um, you know, right now with the market the way it is with the feds lowering the rates it's, um, it's been an amazing summer so far. I bet. And it's been pretty crazy, Mike. I mean, the minute I walked in, it was just you know nonstop phone calls, but it's great. Nice.
0: You know? How do you uh, balance or structure your support team uh, behind you to help you carry the vision or the goals yeah. that you're setting out for your...
1: That's a great question, Mike. It's about you know trusting in your leaders. Okay. Um, so I do a lot of empowerment for my leadership team. I think... Um, kind of
0: break that down a little yeah, bit yeah. in terms of uh, the empowerment... Because I know a lot of our uh, audience who are listening to, Mm -hmm. they're also business owners or yearning to get into entrepreneurship and business. And these aren't like lessons that you can just take at college. You know, this is, you know, if you can kind of break that down a little bit.
1: I I think naturally, human nature is you never want to hire someone that you feel is a threat. For me, I think that's one of the biggest things that people need to sort of accept and realize that, the more folks that you hire that are better than you, the, the, the I, I guess the percentage of you being successful is that much greater, right? So for me, I'm constantly looking for people that will sort of challenge the status quo. And I love people with ideas, right? People that are proactive. So, you know, for our leadership team, I try to really embrace empowerment, autonomy. I, I want them to to have ideas, right? A lot of people, they just feel like they they need to be within this square peg box and not really risk anything, right? For me, I think it's really important to, number one, try to hire folks that you feel are better than you in certain aspects, and then you can collaborate and learn from each other, right? So I think when when looking at structure, that's the first and foremost because it all starts starts from the top. If you have a weak leadership team, then the whole structure and platform doesn't work. And I think a lot of folks, when you're at that level, they tend not to hire the best yeah. because they want to be the, the person, right? And I think in leadership and in building companies, you need to really surround yourself with people that are better than you, yeah. in order for you to challenge yourself and, and really learn from others. There you Does go. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total yeah?
0: sense. It's uh, a lot of leaders fear being replaced. Correct. But if you are bringing on someone who's even better than you in so many different aspects. Yeah. Uh, like exactly what you said is it makes you have to raise the bar Correct. in your level Correct. of achievements or what you yeah. can do. And all together, everybody grows. I guess similar to our company at EQ1 yeah. is we have a company and we have a reputation. And
1: Mike, you have three branches now, right? Yeah. Three different offices, that's amazing.
0: It's, uh, And it's a lot of a responsibility, yeah. but the way that we're able to divvy that up mm-hmm. is empowering and growing from within, right? Because if we build a company, we're just building a company. Yeah. But if you build people, the people will build the company way far larger and bigger than you could ever imagine.
1: And, and I think hiring the right folks for the right job is yeah. important, right? So when you talk about structure, yeah. You don't want to put the wrong person in the wrong position. So if I wanted to elaborate on that a little bit, it's, yeah. it's like putting someone that's great during back office work mm-hmm. and putting them in sales is probably not the right thing to do, right? So I think sometimes you as a leader, you need to be, be to be able to identify the characteristics on what's going to be a successful position for the person, Definitely. right? So sometimes a person may say, you know what, I want to be a salesperson, but they don't like going out. And they don't like meeting people, right? Mm-hmm. But they feel as if they're going to be an amazing salesperson. So that's where you need to sort of identify yeah. what 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 are things or tools that you can do to help them get to where they want to be, or really just call it out and say, you know what, this may not be the right fit for you, you know, and, and really the hard, have the candid cold truth. The hard. I mean, that's that's where you're going to get to to places, right? When yeah. you're able to be transparent and just really genuine with the with yeah. the folks around you. So.
0: I think when you do that, being genuine. Is that you don't waste anyone's time?
1: No, exactly. And when
0: you don't waste anyone's time, everything just runs much more efficiently Effective, yeah. and effectively. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Oh. <laughs> so uh, now at Citizens Bank, with all this growth here, And when you're doing your mentorship, I saw that you did a stint there with Gary V.
1: Yeah.
0: And he's by far one of the most motivational people. He is. And inspirational people to me. Um, I don't care that he drops F-bombs all the time. But it's real. It's authentic. It's genuine. It hits you in your face all the time. All the time.
1: All the time. It makes sense, right? Everything that he talks about, you're like, oh, you know I
0: thought about that exactly but it just didn't hit me that hard until Gary said exactly exactly so gonna share about that uh that relationship there because you uh I remember you saying (coughs) that you've known him for some time too yeah so I've known Gary now for over
1: a decade you know I met him uh since 2008-2009 when he was actually running Wine Library and he was just recently talking about Facebook and all that right so one of my business partners who's actually really good friends with Gary, and he brought him in, we were opening up our first restaurant, and we wanted to see if Gary wanted to come and help us market the restaurant. And, you know, the first time I met Gary, he he was, he was so, he had so much energy and he was so dynamic, and he was young at the time, and he's still young now, but you know, he was in his 30s, and he had this brash, young, really no filter, right? And The minute he came in, he threw his sneakers on the table. And I'm like, who is this guy, right? And he's like, you know, if you guys want to build a brand and you guys want to market, it's more than just a sneaker. So he was talking about Nike and how Nike really embraces lifestyle. And he said, guys, if you guys want to build a brand in the restaurant business, it can't just be about the logo. It's got to be about how people feel, how people interact with the employees, right? So that was one thing that i was still remember till today and wow. he's been a huge mentor and someone that i admire uh, from afar cuz yeah. gary's busy you know i'm busy with the you know the things that i'm doing but whenever we meet it's just one of those things where i've seen him progress and he truly is a practitioner yeah. right so a lot of folks still say stuff but they're but not those, really practicing it themselves gurus all exactly all the time. Yeah, but man. gary i mean he's a thought leader yeah. Um, he's got a talent in really articulating things that you're thinking about, yeah. but he's able to break it down in, in layman terms, right? And and, he, and to your point, he's so in your face. Yeah. He'll be so blunt. He'll tell you the way it is. Yeah. And I think people need that, right? Yeah. So
0: Especially in today's society, there's so many uh, per se influencers and gurus yeah. uh, and life coaches. If you're 20 years old, you can't really be a life coach. No. Because there's one thing about life coaching is you have to experience
1: experiences, life. right? Yeah. So there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of life coaches. It's funny all that you on mentioned Instagram, yeah. I, men- I I mean, I meet folks all the time that are in their, you know, like they just turned twenty-one yeah. and they're like, I'm a I'm a mentor, I'm a coach. So, you know, I try to tell them in order to be a mentoring coach you have to have experiences, right? Failures. Failures. Lots of them. Exactly. So, you know, I don't want to deter them from what they want to do. But I think, you know, one of the things that people need to realize is that you need to be a practitioner before you can actually go out and mentor and and coach folks, right? So
0: So in the the world of business, and I know that – and you talked about, Gary, coming to your first restaurant – I saw that you have Spot Dessert Bar, Correct. and then Guy Chicken and Rice yeah. that just launched. It's super cool. Yeah. Uh, next time I'm in NYC, I'm gonna go to Oh, You definitely have spot. to come by, every yeah. single spot. Uh, I think I'm gonna throw my shoes on the table that's and it. see how that works out <laughs> over there.
1: <laughs> you have a lifetime
0: supply of chicken,
1: Mike, so <laughs> anytime, you. anytime you want.
0: What's your inspiration or the drive or the motivation <sighs> behind you that's kinda getting you out of bed every day uh-huh. saying, you know what? I'm gonna go stomp on these grounds. I'm gonna go do this. I'm gonna hit the office or hit the gym yeah. uh, and really run my business here, run my life, uh-huh. and then all these other businesses. What's your drive?
1: I think you need to enjoy uh, the journey and, and the process, right? Okay. And I love building things. I think ever since I've seen my dad and my mom um, sort of start from nothing, and you know, again, I always go back to your upbringing, right? So I, I've been blessed and lucky enough. To see the progression and to see the process of actually building, failing, because we had our ups and downs growing up, right? Definitely. We were, you know, dirt poor. Then my dad um, opened up a couple launch mats. Then it went down again. So that roller coaster of just experiences really makes me appreciate the process and the journey, right? They say success is um, a journey, not a destination, right? So I think... Really, for me, what inspires me to get up every single day is now the responsibility that I have to all the people that are uh, working for the company, uh, not only on the bank side, but on the restaurant side. But really, for me, I just wanted to diversify um, what I was doing. And look, banking will always be my my go-to, right? 17 years in the business, um, you know, that's all I know.
0: When did you start? When you were two? i
1: know i look young but uh no i started when i was 20 so right when i was in college nice um i actually had a job at diverse american mortgage company i was a cold caller Uh so as a a college kid they were just hitting the phones hitting the phones right and if you ever want to feel so shitty right i I hope i can say that no you could but um about yourself try cold calling folks right um they will tell they will Say the nastiest, nastiest things to you, but um, it was great. It, it really helped me sort of hone in on my skills and really um, not be afraid to to have someone say no, right? Because cold calling, folks—if I mean, folks don't really do it anymore as a, a as a common practice—but that really teaches you how to just build character and just continue to hit the hit the phones, hit the yeah. pavement. So
0: it's uh, being consistent with it. Uh, Two thousand five, six, and seven, when I started in the mortgage industry yeah. first. Um, I was a cold caller. You and did, you were. T- title companies used to bring us these big books. Uh-huh. And it showed the interest rates that were 9%, 8 9%. And then during that time, 2, and 5, 6, and 7, they were about five and a half, six point yeah. seven, five and 675 uh-huh. on a second. And you just call and get people to, to refinance. Calling, right? But as you said, that is one way to really build thick skin. Yeah, for people sure. People will say, don't ever effing call me exactly. back again. Exactly, all the time, right? And you just say, well... Great, great to talk to you today. I'll call you back next week.
1: And you know what? It's even worse when your boss is standing right next to you and he's listening and the guy's cursing you out. And you're like, all right, have a nice day. Yeah. And he looks at you like you didn't close a deal, right? Yeah. So, But um, that was an amazing experience. W- would you say yeah. that
0: um, – Having one of those experiences because that's a grind. That's a grind, right? And I think in our industry, in the real estate industry and the lending industry for real estate, yeah, uh, it's very much a uh, a grind itself. To where you're, even though if you work for a bank or a major institution, whatever it may be, you still have to be the one that's going out there. For sure, you have to be the one going out there doing the business, yeah. taking calls at odd hours when a deal is about to go sideways, yeah. whatever it may be. Um, But would you say that that experience from the cold calling kind of gave you the resilience to just say, you know what, these things are just going to happen. I'm just going to walk.
1: You know, a lot of folks in sales, forget about just being in a mortgage or in real estate, right? They have this victim mentality, right? Which is, you know, I'm not successful because of all of these obstacles. Correct. But I think when you cold call. You're you're building that thick skin and that character of I'm not going to be a victim today, yeah. right? I'm going to make shit happen. I'm yeah. going to make you know my sales wh- whatever goals there are. I think that's the beauty of being in sales as well, Mike. Which is you know there is no ceiling, yeah. right? You make what you believe you can make, and you you know, you create what you what you can. It's a business within a business. Yeah, and I think in terms of just building character and. And really focusing it on your skill set, you know, I, I don't think there's a better way um, than you know just go diving a hundred percent into sales. Yeah, so it I teaches would say, you a lot of life lessons, right?
0: Yeah, you got to have that right uh, mindset. Yeah, it's something we have on the wall back there uh-huh. during well, our last I see it. Energy, Focus, powwow,
1: motivation, drive,
0: resilience. Yep, yeah. it's it's just pure mindset because yeah. the the market can do anything that the market wants to do during the Correct. cycles, during the elections, whatever it may be. But if your mindset's messed up, then everything else just trails, goes down that rabbit hole too. But if your mindset's strong and from doing the cold calls, and that's why I tell our team when we coach Mm -hmm. and mentor is, well, pick up the phone, start making some of these calls, or go and hit the pavement, start door knocking, and then you'll see what hard work really
1: is, right? And, And you know what? Humans, they love trends, right? So whenever something's going up, everybody jumps on that bandwagon. I tell folks all the time, no matter in a good market or a downturn market, there's opportunity. Yes. So a lot of folks will say, okay, you know, I remember in 2008, 2009 when the recession hit, that was probably one of the the, the key moments of folks really creating net worth. Folks that saw opportunity and capitalize on it. Of course. While the 95% of folks saw a recession happening, right? So I tell my folks all the time, whenever there is a down market there's huge opportunity but you need to create your niche i always say niches and riches yeah i got that from john henry actually you okay. know i saw him speak in 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 front of a uh, a whole group of folks in miami and it just dawned on me niches and riches right so if you're in sales or if you're you know growing a company you really need to know and you really need to define who you are within that marketplace And you'll always be successful, right? So it's constant reinventing yourself.
0: Definitely. And
1: to what you said, Mike, it's all about mindset.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. There's ebbs and flows in sales. You're gonna have your bad days, and you know what? When it rains, it pours. Yeah. Right. It just seems like everything. It hails actually. It hails right. So you can have weeks upon weeks where you're out there hitting the pavement, and you're you think you're gonna close a sale, but something happens, and it blows up, and the two weeks of of work it amounts to zero, right? Yep. But if you let that Get into your psyche and you're not brushing it off and just going on to the next, that's gonna affect you.
0: Yeah, right? it continues so. to uh, snowball yeah. down. It's funny that you bring up 2008, <laughs> 9. Uh, those were the days when I was starting in real estate and there was a thing called the short sell. Okay. And but the short sell was actually the longest sell of my life ever. <laughs> the longest sell of your life. You're always negotiating with the banks uh-huh. on the, the seller who is short on their mm-hmm. uh, on their balance. And seeing how much lower they'd come down in order to approve a short sell Correct. and finally get the property sold. Yeah. But how many banks knew how to do short sells during that time? Yeah. And how many agents knew how to do it? Sure. But um, during that time, I carved out a niche, like what you said, niches to riches. Yeah. Uh, we took what we call Certified Distressed Property Expert Course. Got it. Um, there, there was a short sell foreclosure resource clor- course yeah. by National Association of Realtors. I learned as much as I could on online study and then just pounded the pavement and tried to help people. And you just
1: became the go-to guy for short sales.
0: And it became this this animal where you'd have 16, 17 short sales yeah. and it would just start to close. And when it started to close, we saw more opportunities to where people didn't want to buy old, uh, ugly homes or homes that are dilapidated. Uh-huh. They wanted a prettier home and there were people who could have qualified during that time. Yeah. So what we did was we helped investors purchase the dilapidated uh-huh. homes Rehab them yeah. and then sell them to the market who wanted the pretty yeah. homes, and it's kind of like niches to riches. That was kind of like the trend. If I just wanted to go sell regular real estate, mm-hmm. it would go nowhere.
1: And I'm pretty sure, you know, word of mouth is spread really quickly, right? Like yeah. go to Mike; he's the guy. He yeah. knows exactly how to propose it to the banks, and that's and, that's really what what creates that that brand recognition too. And
0: the empathy that you have for others is where there it's more on helping the human, the person there, you're selling the home. Regardless, the the home's going to sell because that's your job. But in order to get to that process, you're working with someone. You are. And they're going through a really tough time of their life. And during that time, made a lot of money, 2005, 2006, 2007, and then really started not making money. So my mindset had to stay good too just in order to kind of move that through. So uh, being through those processes there and being that you're in such a major metropolitan city and kind of seeing the trends too in the market. What are you seeing out in uh, in New York City? Because we're seeing some of the luxury properties sit for a year yeah. now. When yeah. prior to then, it was less than two months, and they were just for sure gone. I mean, it's
1: it's definitely shifted, right? Yeah. So prior to this, the last two to three, even five years, it was a seller's market. Number one, because inventory was very low, and um, now I think. You know, those trophy prices or those astronomical prices, you're not seeing anymore because it's shifted to a buyer's market. More inventory coming into the marketplace. You know, a lot of um, tax laws and salt deductions are now affecting some of the price points in New York City. And I think now buyers more than ever are, you know, it's, it's really a perfect storm for them. So I think there's huge opportunity for buyers now to really get inventory that's Price right correctly. And I think sellers are now realizing hey, if I want to move my inventory, I need to really price um, my home or my condo correctly. Correct. Right. So that's what we're seeing now, which is anywhere um, on the entry level side, 1.5 million and below, okay. there's still bidding wars, right? There's still folks wanting to kind of get into that entry level. But anything between two to five million, there's a lot of stagnant. Um, just just a lot of hesitation. What's
0: entry level? When you talk about 1.5 million. I know it's million, kind of crazy, right? I mean, when
1: you talk about the 1.5 million price point, it's insane. I mean, the average median home price right now in New York City, Manhattan, that 12-mile island is around 800,000. Okay. Outside of Manhattan towards Queens and the outer boroughs, it's around 450-500. Okay. So the average price point it's pretty high, Mike, right? So entry level now, you know, talk about being a millionaire, I mean, that's that's something where, you know, it's common, right? Buying a home for a million dollars. Back then, a million dollars would probably purchase you a, a whole lot. Yeah. Today, it's purchasing you probably 600 square feet, 650 square feet, right? So wow. you, you take that into account. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks out there that are not as educated as well. Like there are programs out there where people can actually take out 10% up to 2 million, 5% up to 850,000. Oh, wow. So it's really having that financial literacy and really understanding what you're capable of affording and things of that nature, what options you have, yeah. especially New York City, Yeah, New where, New York where City. the price points are just outrageous, right? It, so. it is.
0: I thought our prices were outrageous here. If you're looking like Sunnyvale, Mountain View, 1,800 uh-huh. square foot. Rancher built in the 50s, yeah. those used to sell for 2.1, 2.2. Yeah. Now they're still selling for 1.8, but that's in the tech epicenter. That's in the tech epicenter, That's right? like the epicenter of everything there itself. And then you move, our average price point here is 1.2 million. Yeah. And even when we look at these numbers, it's just like, Wow. When I started in the business, 2009, uh-huh. some of these homes were 600,000, yeah. 450,000, yeah. and just to see the, the the amount of growth and appreciation. So seeing that in New York City, and what's nice about New York City that I always seen is there's an area called Billionaires Row. Billionaires Row, 57th Street, yes. Yeah. And we don't quite have a Billionaires Row. We have uh-huh. Hillsborough, Portola Valley, you know, uh-huh. all the really nice, uh, luxurious areas too, but. How is that walking through Billionaires Row on the ground? It's
1: it's like a whole new world, right? So, you know, 432 um, Park Ave. I mean, that's that's you know, apartments start at 15 million. So, you know, that's like a whole new world that you know a lot of folks probably won't understand. You know, how those price points are 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 actually capturing some of the some of the. Most wealthiest, and you know, all over the world in terms of billionaires, but there's something to be said about Fifty Seventh Street in Central Park. You know, I met a billionaire from Madagascar, okay. and he was talking about the New York City, um, I guess, real estate market. And he had a philosophy that I think a lot of billionaires have, which is if you want to invest in New York City, and you want a trophy property, the most iconic real estate zip code is really Central Park and all the market can go up and down but Central Park will always be an icon in New York City. So I think you see a lot of foreign investment coming into the, that particular marketplace. And still coming in. And still coming in, right? Yeah. So
0: It's prestigious, that's why. And I it, said it's, it's exclusive.
1: It's exclusive.
0: It's exclusive. I think that's it. And then in New York City, you have something that's much different than we have in Bay Area where you have co-ops. Yeah. Where there's different forms of HOA, where people yeah. vote and do all these other things. Um,
1: which, which, in a down market, co-ops actually strive the most right because you have the board which is a co-op board which is a whole bunch of folks volunteering but their main objective is to make sure that the building is financially sound yes whether it's you know vetting through a potential buyer coming in and really looking at the financials and making sure that the co-op is doing the right thing by all the tenants right so you're always going to see the co-ops really hold their appreciation
0: values Interesting. Yeah, Man, I learned some something new about New York City. <laughs> exactly. Real estate, you know, Mike, not just yeah. by watching Million Dollar Listings, New York. No, though. no,
1: no. I mean, it's it's exciting, though, right?
0: Oh, definitely. Anything that's uh, real estate related is, you know, always always has my my eyes. It's like a you know that shiny object. Yeah, yeah. Right there. So, what's next? Like, you've shared so much about you know your past, what you're currently doing right now. Um, a lot of successes, and I have to you know commend you for that because you're a super humble guy, too. Like I follow you on social media. Uh-huh. So I, uh, I always say this game-recognized game. Recognized game. Uh-huh. It's almost like you know, what we see others and we're attracted to that, because then we're all kind of within that same world, that same planet, per se. So what's next for? ace in the next five years next or five ten years?
1: years. Wow, that's a, that's a loaded question there, Mike. <laughs> but, um, you know, when you talk about successes, one thing that I do want to address is people may see a lot of success, but I can tell you the last 13, 14 years, there's been a tremendous amount of failures too. Yeah. Right, Mike? So that's what people don't see. Yeah. And I think that's what people need to embrace more. You know, in the restaurant business, now between me and my cousin, we have 10 restaurants but it wasn't always like that, right? So we actually closed down four restaurants, like miserably failed. And it's been a blueprint ever since because we had so many different concepts going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. We we just couldn't handle the different concepts. So now we scaled it back to two to three concepts. And I think what people need to realize is a lot of folks don't want to fail, right? And a lot of folks try to avoid failure. For me, it's not that I want to fail, but I welcome it. Because I think you need to embrace failure, because it'll teach you not to uh, make those same mistakes. Correct. And I want to make it early, right, rather than later in life, because it's going to be the same game, mm-hmm. just different, um, different currency. So if you can actually experience those failures early, you won't make the same mistake when, when I guess the uh, when when there's more at stake. Yeah. Right, so it's more, costly it's more costly down the
0: line. There's more, um, there's more at stake, and there's more things that you have much more to lose the longer you go sure. with, the, with for sure. a certain business. I so. mean,
1: I can tell you the first restaurant that, um, that I opened up, Spot, uh-huh. which is pretty well known now. We have four locations, right? Nice. But it wasn't always like that. So we were in the basement. It was a hidden sort of gem on St. Mark's Place. And we redlined for a good two years, three years. All the money that I was making at the bank would be going towards funding that restaurant, right? And, you know, sometimes it takes resilience yeah. and, um, you know, it takes a little bit of luck for mm-hmm. sure. But you need to put yourself in that position so that when luck does arrive, mm-hmm. you're able to sort of capitalize, right? Yeah,
0: you're, you're right there. You see it there. Right you can there. make it happen. Yeah,
1: but yeah. in terms of, you know, what's next for the next five years, I really, um, obviously, my aspirations in the banking world, I, I want to, really help Citizens Bank sort of create their own um, sort of blueprint in New York City, right? If I can have at least some brick and mortar there where they're not um, known to be in New York City, then I would feel like as if, you know, I did I did my job for the bank. But in terms of just entrepreneurship, I'm constantly now just really vetting through a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Scoop, with the new ice cream line coming out with Spot, Uh, spot, we're franchising the company as well, there's a lot of things that and the guy just opened up the chicken and rice concept, so there's a lot of things going on, Um, but again I want to go back to you can't do a lot, for me a lot of those I guess, the growth opportunities within the companies, it's not me that's really doing it, Mike, right it's really having the right team, having the right partner, My, my cousin Chai is my partner, he's the operator right i'm more of the finance business development side of things so i think when people look at it from the outside they're like ace what's next you know during the 5 years i would probably say you know what's next is really you know the unknown but mm-hmm. i think what's known is continually building you know really good friendships and relationships and continually surrounding yourself with the right people so that when there is an opportunity um, you're able to actually Take advantage and execute.
0: Yeah, yeah so. you're, you're able to capitalize on that. Yeah,
1: I know okay. I didn't really answer your question in terms of what's next in the five years, but I think, I think we'll see. I yeah, think we'll see. You know, I'm I'm a true believer in, in in definitely dreaming, but I really uh, focus my time on you know execution. So we can all dream here. Yeah, but it comes we down can, to execution. We, we can right? dream
0: out loud. We exactly. Can, you know, put everything. And on it's the good table. to have
1: affirmations and, yeah. and things of that nature. So there's a couple um, internally that I, that, that I definitely have, um, in terms of just going to real estate and, um, going into development. Yeah. Uh, that's something that's been a, been a dream of mine as well. Um, thus, you know, working with Howard Lorber, um, CEO of Douglas Solomon, I learned a lot from him, but just, you know, looking at, you know, how you would, you know, structure that and really find funding and things of that nature, you know, being on the finance side, that's, it's been a dream of mine. So. And,
0: and it only gets more fun when there's more challenge.
1: When there's more challenge, yeah. exactly. You, you really, really, really need to look forward to the challenges. Yeah. And I think that's what really um, drives my competitiveness, right? Which there is I'm okay with challenges. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, once you kind of shift your mindset into that gear, you're, you know, you're going to be unstoppable, yep. right? So,
0: So, um, you know, the theme of the podcast is small yeah. moment, big impact, And from what you've shared, there's so many different small moments. What would you say is the exact small moment that's kind of defined you and made the big impact to where you're able to do all this?
1: I think um, there's two, two moments in my life. Um, Actually three, right? So, you know, I I really, rarely share this, but a defining moment in my life was when my parents got a divorce when I was in college and you know we grew up with a loving family and my parents taught us well but after they got a divorce it was it was rough on my sister and myself but it actually made me really become a lot more accountable at first I blamed myself for the divorce but as time went by I wanted to really you know make my parents proud in order for them to sort of in my mind if I was a success Maybe they'd get back together because they saw their son being so successful. And that was one of the main drivers um, that made me walk on to UConn, which was basketball was my sanctuary. So every time I was on the court, I didn't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. So I just really focused my time and energy on the basketball court. So that was my first real moment in my life where you know I really faced an obstacle yeah. that was detrimental and and you know I could have went the other way, right? Definitely. I could have started drinking, smoking, really just went down a really, really dark path. But I chose the opposite. Yeah. I chose to channel my anger and my sort of just struggle with with myself towards something that I loved. Mm-hmm. So that was number one. Number two is really meeting Coach Calhoun. Um, he showed me that, you know, believing in someone, obviously there's probably so many players that are better than, than who I was, right? But he saw something in me and gave me a chance. Yeah the first Asian American walk-on at UConn and from that moment on I truly believe that in life if you don't try and you just listen to people and you listen to the stigmatization you're never going to give yourself an opportunity Definitely, Mike you have no idea how many people laughed at me when I said I was going to walk on to UConn right Or, or try out for that matter but you know from that experience it taught me if you have someone that supports you and you have someone that cares Uh, as much as Coach Calhoun did for all of his players, you know, there's something special there, right? That taught me teamwork. It taught me discipline. It taught me um, accountability. And the most that... The the, the one thing that sticks out, you know, from from Coach Calhoun is everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. Everybody comes from all different walks of life, right? We were recruiting folks from Africa, Australia, all over the world, these players, right? But he made us really buy into a system, which is, it's all about having unity and having each other's sort of back and support. Definitely. And then the third moment is really uh, meeting Dottie. You know, I still remember the first day I met her. I was so young. I was around 30 years old. Didn't have um, really any confidence in myself in terms of taking it to the next level. At that time, I was an area manager at Wells Fargo. I was part of their leadership program. Things were great. And I interviewed. I was the last person that she was interviewing. Everybody else had 20 years of experience. And, you know, I was the last interview at 5 p.m. I walked into the interview. I'm like, I'm definitely not getting this interview, right? I'm I'm definitely not getting this position. Because it was to become the president for DE, Doug Elliman, which was DE Capital at the time. But I went in there. I did my best. And my resume did not stack up against any of the prior four but she saw something in me and the craziest thing is when she actually gave me the position I said no because I was scared so think about it right 30 years old you get handed a position to become the president and you say no and you know that was a defining moment because I I went home I talked to my parents I was scared and you know, I told them, if I fail as the president at 31, I'm done. You know, forget about New York City. I won't be able to, I mean, not only was I young, not only was, you know, that not only did I not have the experience, but I'd probably not get I, I would probably not have another chance at this, right? right. So um, the belief that she instilled in me for two years straight, she was talking, she was talking, and she said, Ace, you need to make a decision. And the one thing that resonated with me was she said, look, you're going to make mistakes, but I see something special in you. So you need to really you know, see that and embrace it. And she said, one thing that, that you will learn is you're going to make mistakes, but don't, don't make the same mistake twice. And she said, I will support and I will guide you through this process. And two years later, I took that position and there's been a lot of uh, trial and error a lot of learning, a lot of growing up, and a lot of accountability. And she never once let me stray away from really believing in myself. Wow. And it's been unbelievable, the amount of folks that I've met and the opportunities that's been given upon myself. hmm And I think that's key in life, right? Yep. Which is sometimes you need to kind of take that leap of faith. Yep. Even when you don't have any faith in yourself. Yep. Which um, a lot of people, when they look at me now, they're like, "Wow, Ace, you know, you're so confident. You have this aura about you." But no, you know, I I, I doubt myself plenty of times. But I think having that support system and having people that believe in you, yeah. um, you sort of have to come into your own, right? You yeah. you kind of fall into that. Uh,
0: that word is so big. Believe, and um, what what I'm hearing the the constant theme of your small moments is always that. Someone believed in you when you had doubts. And we all have doubts.
1: We all have doubts. We all have
0: doubts. But during those right moments, when you were doubting yourself the most, people came and said, hey, I believe in you. I believe in you. And that's what got you to where you are today. And now you're circling back and believing in others. That's
1: right, Mike. Right, And that's why it's so important for me to give people that support system as well. You know, and a lot of people are like, Ace, you know, you meet so many people, you know, is it, do you have time for that? And look, I try to make time for everyone, no matter who they are, right? Because you never know.
0: You made time for this podcast.
1: No, no, no. I, I mean, appreciate- look, Mike, we, we, we've been setting this up for quite some time, but I, I think people, when they become somewhat, and I don't want to say successful, but when they become an, an influence within their community, sometimes I see folks not giving the time. Yeah and not really helping others. And I never truly understood that, right? Because I think in life, it's about really supporting one another. I think as human beings, we want to really uplift and help our community. So I think within the real estate community, within the Asian American community, whoever I can really make a positive impact on, I want to try. And I encourage everyone to lift others because you receive so much more when you give without expectation. Exactly. And when you truly genuinely want to help others and see them succeed and, and become successful, it's it's a great feeling. Yeah. I, I, I can't even explain it, Mike, but. Um, when you give
0: before you get or uh, without the expectation and you see someone grow and you get to say, you know, I was a little bit part of that. Just a and little. they were 99% the yeah. rest. They were there, right? Yeah. They,
1: they just needed that sort of support and that sort of. Um, I don't even know that. It, ignite or ignition just to kind of get to that level it's a spark right so
0: it's kind of like similar to how we met right we have to give a shout out to aria (laughs) the asian real estate association right kind of brought us into the same rooms together uh, in leadership and all and i think that goes full circle with everything that we do it's it's such a great organization that has been uplifting so many leaders and it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are you're a part of aria correct you're you're within yeah. The you family. don't need
1: to be Asian American, right? Yeah. You could be any any ethnicity, but really building that family and that network and, and meeting you, Mike, yeah. was one of the most positive um, experiences from from the organization. But really, being a part of a community yeah. is so important, and you get you get what you put in. Yeah, right. So you know, a lot of us we were part of organizations, but then we're sort of like on the outside. You know, it was only when I actually truly embraced. The Organization and really put myself out there was when I met folks like yourself. So it's such an amazing organization, and you know, you're meeting folks from all over the country, yeah, right and now,
0: all over the world, and now too. all over the world. Like we it's went global. to Dubai together, yeah, we went to yeah, Dubai yeah. For the, I saw that. The global trip. Yeah. What words of wisdom would you have for someone who's listening to our podcast today and seeing your upbringing, the struggles, and then the successes, and the failures, and the lessons? What are the what's one thing that you would like to share um, to for, as inspiration or aspiration or yeah. something?
1: Number one word: patience.
0: Patience.
1: Patience, because a lot of millennials now, right? And and I think the millennial generation is they have so much opportunity out there, and I think we sometimes mistake the word passion for patience, because so many times I see a lot of potential in in the millenni- millennial generation but they give up too easily yeah. because it's not happening fast enough. Yeah. And it's not I, at the fingertips. It, it's not like at that. the fingertips, yeah. right? And you know when I tell folks that I've been in the business 17 years without straying, without, you know, doing something else and it's the restaurant business was really a um sort of a result from my relationships in the real estate world, right? To get great locations and things of that nature. But it, had I veered off and just did so many different things, and it's okay to test out things when you're young. But one thing that I want to tell folks is be patient. You know, time is your biggest friend, right? If you can utilize it the right way. Learn from your mistakes. Don't think that success is overnight. And continue to work on your trait. Because the more that you become an expert in what you do, and, and the more that you know your competition, the more you become an added value for that community or that consumer, right? So I would say patience and really understanding what that means is so key because a lot of people will say, well, I did it for a year, Ace, yeah. right? And I'm like, a year is not nearly enough, right? So banking side, 17 years. Restaurant side, now 10 years. Um, you go through your ups and downs. Yep. And I think people need to realize that it takes time, you know, you, you, success isn't overnight. Yeah. You know, Rome wasn't built um, the next day. That is true. So yeah. I think um, if there's one takeaway, Mike, it's it's really patience. Patience. Awesome. Does that make sense? Yeah, <laughs> it
0: makes a lot of sense. Well, I so appreciate you for being on oh, Small Moment, Big Impact. And we're going to leave it with that is patience. Patience is a virtue. So it is. Thanks, it is. Ace. Really appreciate it. Oh, you. man, of course. Mike.